Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Today's guest, Samory Sammy Morris, is a U.S. national champion, content creator, and martial artist. My name is Mark Sarianis. I'm your host. I'm the editor-in-chief of Taekwondo Life magazine, and I'm a third Don Black Belt. Samory is a fourth Don Black Belt. She is truly among the new generation of Taekwondo practitioners, not just because she is graced with youth and skill, but because she is integrating her passion and knowledge of digital and social media with Taekwondo to create a platform for education, for entertainment, and for communication. Samory's YouTube channel, Samory Morris Taekwondo, has almost 80,000 subscribers and is filled with useful information that takes us around the world as she has traveled in her international competitions and brings us back to her dojang where she teaches tutorials on basics and advanced Taekwondo techniques. She is a delightful person to speak to, and I encourage you to visit her platform, to connect with her, and to learn more about how she is changing the face of Taekwondo. Today we are joined by U.S. national champion, content creator, and martial artist, Samory Morris. Sammy is how you are, are, are known by your, your Hi, friends yeah. and contemporaries, correct? Hi, thank yeah, you for joining us. Sammy. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Very good. Thank you so much. So I wanted to go into, um, one of the things I want to do today is sort of the basis for what we're going to talk about is, is one of your recent uh, articles on your, on your blog um, that you wrote about, and they have a video called uh, The Most Common Kicking Mistakes Martial Arts Make, Martial Artists Make. But before we do that, I wanted to give an opportunity to introduce you to the audience. And um, I had an opportunity to, I've been following some of your videos and, and reading some of your, some of your posts. And it's, it's really, really very good Taekwondo-centered, martial arts-centered stuff. I think it's very, very helpful and, and practical. So um, thank you again for joining us. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. And thanks for checking out my videos. Yeah, I have a channel and I post on my blog. And basically, I mean, I've loved martial arts since I was little. So what I wanted to do is just try and give back and, you know, pass on my knowledge that I've learned throughout the years. So I'm hoping that you yeah, had helpful to other martial artists out there. Great. So tell me now, you're, you're a fourth down black belt. I am. Um, uh-huh. and, and you have a, a very prestigious record, which we're going we're gonna to go through. But tell me how you, I always like to find out, um, how did you end up, you're in, uh, I believe you're in Utah now, but is that where you grew up? And, and, and how did you get involved in the martial arts? Yeah, so kind of. I was actually born in Peru, and then I moved to the U.S. to Utah when I was five years old. Um, How I got involved with martial arts was my parents started a martial arts studio in Peru before I was born, Um, I think five years before I was born. So I was literally just, like, born into the martial arts studio. I learned how to walk with, like, a headgear on my head. So I was very much, like, growing up in the martial arts world. And then as soon as I was old enough to, I started learning. First, I started learning karate. I got my yellow belt, and then I eventually went off to taekwondo, and that's what I've been doing since then. That's great. That, that is, that's really wonderful. And um, for those of us that are not 
that familiar with the area that you live in in, in Utah. What was how did you make the transition to, to Taekwondo? Was it a product of the fact that uh, there was a, a reputable school there, or was it a product of just simply geographically? Or what was the basis for which you made the switch from from karate to Taekwondo? Um, so how it happened was my oldest sister competed in the Peruvian national team in both the karate and the Taekwondo national team. And when she, when we moved to Utah, she pretty much just stuck to Taekwondo. She had to choose one of the teams um, right before we moved, and she preferred Taekwondo. Um, I think because it was in the Olympics, it was more exciting to her. So when we moved, we she just continued with Taekwondo, and we started another martial arts school here in Utah. And that's why I started off with it. I mean, I was super young, so I didn't know any better. I just did what my sisters taught me. That's very. It's common. It's common, and a lot of people get involved for a number of, of different reasons. And, and even those folks that get involved and, and love Taekwondo and, and love the martial arts don't necessarily, didn't necessarily consciously set out to be martial arts practitioners per se. You know, right. They, it's, it's, it's a product of style. So um, very much like, like myself, you study a, a, you know, a, in an Olympic style program. So I'm, I'm very familiar with that. And you've had significant accomplishments. I see that you were the um, sixth time U, U.S collegiate national champion team you know, and team member, um, uh, and, and you traveled all over the world. So tell us about that. Tell us about your, your, your competition on the collegiate level. I, I, know, I know that um, in, in looking at some of your, your videos that you have some involvement with the um, National Collegiate um, Taekwondo Association. So, so give us a little bit of a sense of that, how you got involved in that, and, and, and about okay. your, your, your resume on that. Okay, yeah, thanks. So, um, well, how I actually got started with competition was, it's kind of funny, because growing up, I was awful at competing and sparring. I love competing in Boomsday, but I was terrible at sparring, because I hated being in the ring. It was hard. I got kicked all the time. So it just wasn't for me. And then when I was 19, that's when I kind of set out on this quest that I wanted to make it on the U.S. national team, and I wanted to start, you know, like facing my fears um, of being in a ring, and I just decided, you know what, I'm going to do all the trainings. I'm going to talk to my family and see what I can do. I know my older sister has had so much experience and she can coach me. So I'm going to just put 100% effort and just see where I can go from here. So I started training. I went to Mexico and I moved there for a month and just did trainings, you know, like three times a day. And then when I came back, I went to collegiates and I ended up placing second place, which is almost making team, but just being that one step away. So that was kind of a big motivation for me. And then ever since then, that's what kind of kicked off my competitive career from then on, I made the U.S. Collegiate National Team six times, and that helped me travel all over. I went to the World University Games. I went to World uh, University Championships. I went to International Opens. So I got to travel and train all over the world, which was wonderful. I learned, you know, like a ton of new things, learned about new cultures, got to meet other people in the martial arts world that I never would have met. And it was just a really cool experience, definitely challenging there were a lot of, you know, like tough challenges that went along with training and competing, but overall, just an awesome experience. That, that's interesting. And, you know, it, everything's relative. But when you say 19, 19 is very young, but 19 to start competitively engaging in martial arts sparring competition is actually um, late it's in the older. game. And, yeah, and for you to do that and to achieve such success is really a, an indication of your dedication and your commitment to to, to really training and, and, and how hard you must have worked. So that's that's very impressive. 
Yeah, I mean, I did martial arts growing up, so it's not like I was starting from zero. But, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely wish I would have started earlier where I could make, like, the cadet team or the junior team. But I didn't have that chance, so I just did what I had with – or I did what I could with what I had. That's great. That's great. Well, you certainly did. And uh, so it looks like to me in, in looking at it that a number of the yeah, – you have a, a, a very successful YouTube channel. And your your channel has a, number, a, a lot of subscribers, uh, and it's Taekwondo and, and, and training-based and tutorial-based. But it seems that a, a good part of it seems to have come out of the attempt to memorialize your world travel, that it, that it yeah. started out more, more as a product of that. So, so tell us a little bit about that, because it's an, that's an interesting um, um, metamorphosis, and it's also interesting how Taekwondo and and your engagement and that gave you the opportunity to see so many places. So how it started was I started off on Instagram and you know like I told you I started off with traveling to Mexico and starting training there and I knew that you know like I missed my family back home I had a martial arts studio here so I missed all the kids and the parents so I started just posting pictures and talking a little bit about how my journey was going and then I met a friend who did parkour and he told me about YouTube so that's kind of what started with me with YouTube. I took off on a trip to Spain, and I just decided to make a video of, like, the whole experience because I was training there for a week, and then I had the Spanish open. So I just pulled out my camera, and I tried vlogging, and that was my first video, and people liked it. I loved getting the comments of, you know, like, people interested in martial arts and interested in Taekwondo wanting to see more about what it was like internationally. And so when I got that little bit of positive feedback, I'm like, you know what, you know, if anything, I'm just going to record this so I can watch it back in the future. So anytime that I went off the train, I would just pull out my camera and just make a little story out of it. And that's what kind of started off the YouTube channel is, you know, just me trying to collect memories and share stuff with the people back home. And then eventually, as it kind of grew and I got more competitive, I started getting a lot of questions about, like, how do you do this? How do I kick faster? How do I kick higher? And that's what started off the tutorials is me wanting to, you know, like answer that, but not answer individually, but just kind of show exercises so that everybody could find it if that's what they were looking for. And that's what started off the tutorials and the channel just kind of grew from there. And I ended up separating two channels. So now I have a blog channel for the people that want to, you know, like watch daily blogging more and then a Taekwondo channel for those that just want to watch um, taekwondo tutorials, or tips, training tips, things like that. Well, that's interesting, and and it sort of led into partially what my my next question was going to be. But uh, I'm, I'm thinking, and and I'm really curious about the fact that you know, for me, competing or doing almost anything in life successfully is distinct from being able to teach it. And it yeah. seems that you got involved through through this. Uh, passion and th and through this attempt to have your video channel be, you know, uh, perpetuated. Is that really where you ended up honing and developing your skills as a teacher and as an in in instructor? Because your your the, the components of your videos are, are really filled with very, very specific and practical ways to um, execute technique and, and, and deal with issues. So I think, I mean, honestly, I started teaching ever since I can remember. I started assistant teaching when I was 12, and both my older sisters are awesome instructors. So I think I kind of picked up on a lot of that from there. As I, you know, traveled and competed, I tried to focus mostly on my competitive career because I wanted to be focused on that. And then recently, a few months ago, I think early this year, I decided to retire from competition 
because as much as I loved it, I knew it was time for something else. And I also knew that my channel was growing and I had an opportunity to, you know, like create something bigger than just posting videos. So I think that's when I started focusing a bit more. I attended different instructor development courses and seminars and just tried to learn from as many people as I could to just make myself a better instructor because it's something that I love. I love hearing when people are able to accomplish their own goals. That's really rewarding to me um, because I help them. So I think that's what made me focus a bit more on like, let's learn how to develop myself as an instructor a bit more. Well, that's wonderful. That's really wonderful. And it gives you an opportunity to um, do it in a very large scale way and be able to provide really meaningful contact and communication. So tell me about as part and parcel of this, I see that in 2018, um, you were selected as uh, by YouTube as a Next Up creator. Tell me yeah. what that means, because for those of us that don't really understand, how does that that tie in? Is that something that is product of, of something that you apply for? Is that um, career yeah. oriented? What is it? Um, so Next Up is a program that they have. You can apply for it, and then they just sent me an email inviting me because they saw that my channel was growing. Basically, what you do is you know you send in an application and just explain what your what your channel is about, where you want to take it, why you started it, things like that. And then they pick 12 creators from there that they think are going to be, you know, like the next big creators. Then what they did was they took us out to a week in L.A. at the YouTube Space L.A. And they taught us about filmmaking, about crafting a story, about lighting, about video. So everything basically just to help us become better YouTubers and just help us in our YouTube careers. Wow, that's really exciting. That's really exciting. Do you feel that that was something that was helpful to you in in building your your brand and, and your channel? Or did you feel that that much of it was stuff that you already knew or a combination of both? Um, I'm going to say it's definitely a combination of both. I never really took any actual like filming classes. So I was very new to just like, like I said, lighting or filmmaking techniques. But I knew, I mean, I've always liked writing growing up, so I knew how to tell a story, but then getting that kind of video background, filmmaking background was really helpful. And I think what was the most helpful was just being around other creators. I was the only one, you know, who did martial arts, for example. So it was different, but it was really cool to just, you know, connect with everyone on just creating something. I mean, it's kind of like competing when, you know, like you go and you try and, you know, create a career and you try and train. So it was more like training, but for YouTube. That's great. That's great. Now, I'm going to ask you an interesting question about um, the development of your uh, and the process involved in your creativeness, in the creative process, because okay. I'm looking at it from the standpoint of our magazine and the standpoint of how things are done. So I see that you have a wonderful video, which we're going to get more into, and you have an accompanying article, Most Common Kicking Mistake Martial Artists Make, which is pretty, um, I think it's pretty um, typical of the types of things that appear on your on your site. So when you try to formulate and, and outline these ideas for the video, do you think in the sense of writing the script for the video or and, and it becomes the article or is it the other way around in terms of how you, you outline it and, and you organize it and you, and you break it down so um, thoughtfully? Yeah, so for, I guess for overall, the two main ways I get ideas for videos, we'll start there, are number one, when I am teaching, just looking for common things that people want to improve on, or like like this one, for example, common mistakes that my students make. And then the second thing is reading through the comments of what people are looking for, that kind of the things and struggles that they're looking for. So that's kind of where the idea comes from. And then once I have that idea, 
what I like to do is just try and brainstorm different um, ways that I can present the topic. So for this one, I decided to break it down and just make it, you know, like simple, basic things that people can watch out for when they're kicking that they might not be noticing. And something that I talk about a lot is, you know, like make sure someone else watches you or make sure you video yourself because you might not always notice what you're doing wrong. And then from there, I like to just highlight it in different bullet points. I do create the video first, so I lay out, like, you know, like, here's going to be my introduction, here's going to be all the different bullet points that I want to talk about, the main points, and then my outro for sure. So I like to just categorize it like that. Then I create the video, and then from the video, I create the blog post because then it, it just has that nice layout ready to go. That's great. That, 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 that's that's terrific. And do you find that you do it? And again, I'm just picking your brain about the creative sure. process. Do you find that you do it? Um, and and you seem like you have a lot of material to work with. That you do it as it comes to you, or, or artistically in relationship to the things that you, the questions that you get, or are you? Do you put yourself on a very uh, rigid schedule in terms of I need to create on Mondays and Thursdays, or or something of that nature? Not necessarily when you release, but actually as you as you create. How does that generally work in terms of your creative process? Um, so I like to plan ahead at least one month in advance so I can kind of see what's going on. If there's going to be a tournament that I know I need to do a highlight reel for, if it's like Halloween this month, I like to kind of plan ahead with what's going on to stay relevant. But then I don't – so I'll like plan out – right now I'm doing two videos a week. So I'll plan out what I want to do, the topics I want to cover, but I don't hold myself strictly to that. I do try and be a bit more flexible. So, for example, like this um, past or yesterday, I uploaded a video because one of my friends came out and she did martial arts with me growing up. So I did a video of her. She hasn't trained in Taekwondo for a while, so I thought it would be kind of a fun video for other people that have kind of left Taekwondo to kind of get re-motivated to try it again. It wasn't the video I planned at all. It was just kind of an idea that came up, but I thought it was, you know, like great enough to really help somebody else. So that's why I kind of put it in there. So if something else comes up in my head that I really feel passionate about that I want to talk about, then I'll totally just throw whatever else I had out and I'll just do that idea. I think that's usually better because it's more natural and more authentic to me. Well, that's great. That's great. And and um, your fluidity and, and your flexibility and being able to respond to it in that way in a lot of ways is sort of like sparring, right? So so. You, you know, you plan, you you, you train, you might you yes. might plan how you're going to go into there, and if if uh, depending on what's thrown at you, you you may respond a little bit differently than than you had initially intended to, right? Based on exactly. Uh, yeah, it's funny because yeah, you always say you know like my life is taekwondo, taekwondo is like a way of life, it's a lifestyle, but it's true. Like same principles, same ideas, you can just apply it in different areas of your life. So totally, 100% agree with what you just said. That's wonderful. So what I'd like to do now is. Uh, if if you don't mind, what I'd like to do is to go in. I'd like to give you the opportunity to to sort of present this topic. Um, okay. Most common kicking mistakes martial artists make um, because I, I I love it. I think it's a great. Uh, it'll be a great uh, teaching tool for our listeners. And then uh, at the end, what we'll talk about a little bit is what's upcoming for you. And then we'll talk about how folks can actually get into um, connecting with you and subscribing to your to your site. So tell tell us about the most common kicking mistakes that martial artists make. All right. So I'll just kind of go through the little bullet points that I Wonderful. focused on in the video. So 
the first one that I talked about was stepping before kicking. And it's just funny because I've caught this a lot, even for myself, um, just doing little weird moves before I actually do a kick. And I especially see this in whenever I do kumse when I do taekwondo form. So like um, in Taeguk Samjong, for example, there is a low block and then you do a front snap kick. And then I know that a lot of my students will try and do a step just to kind of gain momentum before it. And that's just an unnecessary step that you need if you're sparring, if you do something right before you kick every single time, people will pick up on it. So that was like the first big one that I decided to talk about. Um, next, the second one was keeping your eyes on your target. Just because you always have to focus on where you're going. And a lot of times people will either look at the floor, they'll look at the ceiling. So just remembering to keep your eyes where you're going. Um, keeping your hands in control. This is really funny because, you know, like you're so focused on your legs because your legs are the ones that are doing the kicking that your arms will go anywhere. But you always need your arms, whether you're covering, if you're sparring or, you know, up in a fighting stance, a guarding stance, you always want to just have them be placed intentionally. And so just not forgetting about that, but just focusing on where you want them to be. Um, let's continue. Number four was making sure that your bottom leg and your bottom foot are stable. I see a lot of times people rotate on the balls of their feet and then they'll stay up on there, which kind of creates a really unstable place to be executing the kick. Um, they'll just be doing funny things like bending their leg too much or just, you know, like not in a stable place. So focusing on, once again, like the legs, but also that bottom leg that is actually giving you stability for your kick to be strong. Number five is don't crunch your body in. So this one comes from people wanting to get a lot more height in their kick. And when they're trying to do that, what they'll do is they'll crunch their body inwards towards their leg because they'll feel their leg is almost coming up closer to them. So they think that's higher. But that takes away a lot of, you know, like the hip movement and that just positions your body in a really awkward way that takes away a lot of the height and power for the kick as well. Number six is retracting and rechambering your kicks. So, you know, people will do an awesome kick and then they'll just leave it. They'll forget about it as soon as they hit and make the impact. They'll just let it fall and not remember to rechamber and then go back to a proper fighting stance, which is number seven, ending your kick. So especially when doing line drills, people will kick and then they'll move towards the back of the line. But you always have to remember to go back to the proper stance so you can follow up whether you have to block, cover, move, do another kick always being in that stance ready for the next action. And those are just kind of some of the tips. I think in total they were seven tips for things to do or things to watch out for that are common mistakes that people make when kicking. They're great, and, and I thank you for doing that, and I loved it. One of the things that I loved about it is for somebody who's been doing this, I've been doing this for 30, 30 plus years. I, I, I think it's 30, 35 years just about. And uh, many of the things that we always say with our students, the same thing when you, when you learn Pumse, is you learn things the first time, and there's many things that, you, that go into that. But then when, you go, when you're higher belt, and then you go back over those basics, you really can perfect. And the article's great because no matter where you are along the Taekwondo journey, I think it has relevance. It's a good teaching tool for beginners, and it's a good refresher tool for uh, people that have been practicing for a while. And I noticed that a lot of your stuff has, has that. So I think they're very, very thoughtfully done from the standpoint of instruction and uh, tutorial. Thank you. Yeah, and they're mostly just like habits that develop over time that you don't even notice. So, yeah, I try to make it just applicable to anyone, just things to watch out for that are pretty common. So if, if our listeners want to um, learn more of these tips and want to follow your journey and, and 
learn more of your um, instructional techniques, what would be the place that they would be able to, and we'll put these in the, um, in the show notes, but what would be the place that they would be able to connect with you and be able to follow and subscribe to you on from social media or YouTube? So everything is based off of my name, Samory Morris, on YouTube at Samory Morris Taekwondo, on Instagram, Samory Morris TKD, website, SamoryMorris.com. So pretty much just my name. You can search it and then things will come up. YouTube is where I do, you know, like most of the video tutorials and I'm taking it into, well, right now it's basically just very Taekwondo focused, but I want to open it up to other martial arts as well. And that's kind of the next step I'm taking the channel into. I'm going to be doing some fun videos where I put like Taekwondo athlete goes to try a jiu-jitsu class or a Muay Thai class. So I'm going to try and get into a bit more of the other martial arts as well. That's great. That's great. So the, the probably the best beginner portal for them to be able to follow your journeys if they go into your main website it links to all these other social yes, media and, and other things well, you got that's it. great that's great so so you've given us a little bit of a teaser as to what's ahead for you but i always do like to ask um what lies ahead for you in your taekwondo journey for the next whether it be a year in the near or distant future um you, you seem to be out of the competition game for yourself individually but uh is it all strictly focused on um, the development of of uh, this this project. Will you be doing anything in the international or or domestic yeah, taekwondo team? What's next is kind of exciting. I'm So this fall, I started a master's program at the University of Utah, and it is completely based around, you know, like this martial arts, digital media kind of thing that I'm working on. So that's what I'm focusing a lot on these next nine months, all the way up until April. So I'm actually a little bit into it. So I'm going to be focusing a lot on just creating digital content. What I want to do with that, I want to, I mean, I love martial arts and taekwondo especially. I want to bring it more into the digital media world. I want to get more exposure for it so it can become a more mainstream sport and other, you know, they can be more spectators because I think that will help a lot with, you know, like getting sponsorships for athletes, things like that. So I really just want to, you know, like create more content that people can consume and then definitely, you know, like keep teaching and everything um, some of the other areas I want to get into is just like tournament coverage because, for example, like our Team USA will go compete at the Grand Prix, but nobody will really know who's there and how they did, what who's coaching them. So I want to get more into just like covering Taekwondo for the U.S. and then also just like the big tournaments. I think it can be enjoyed and just accessed a lot more if I kind of make that more accessible. And that's that's kind of where I want to go from here. It's just everything, you know, martial arts related. Back in my home studio, we do have a competition team. And, like, one of our students just made the U.S. team. She went to Cadet World Championships, and she did awesome. So I'll still continue to, you know, like, go to tournaments and be involved in that way. But just not me as an athlete anymore. I'm taking on a different role that I think is a better fit for me now. Well, that's wonderful. And I think we've seen, you know, there are various people in different aspects of the martial arts and the Taekwondo universe and using their uh, skills, their lo- their passion of Taekwondo, but their other skills that we just interviewed. Uh, we did an interview last week with Ali Gafour, the, uh, the creator of or the CEO for 2020 Armor. And he has a lot of entrepreneurial and business skills but he's a former Canadian uh, national Taekwondo team member. And he's combined those two things to create, you know, sparring equipment, uh, PSS sparring equipment. So I think it's exciting. It's an exciting time in, in, in the Taekwondo world as we have more and, and more is. 
gift, gifted people, right, that are, that are giving back and, and being able to join. The, it's not a separate. Your Taekwondo life isn't separate from your other no, life. It, it, become, it becomes joint. It joined. ties in. <laughs> yeah, that, for sure. I'm excited to see where, where I can help out with that as well. That's great. That's great. So, Samory Morris, I thank you so much for speaking to us. Um, we look forward to uh, continuing to learn from you uh, and to be entertained by you and to see what develops in your um, near and distant future. Uh, we will in, in, we will uh, put all of your contact information in our show notes and in, in our posting uh, and in the uh, December issue of Taekwondo Life magazine. Uh, people will be able to find out a little bit more of you, and, and they'll be able to read your article on most common kicking mistakes martial artists make. So we thank you for that, and, and we look forward to, to speaking to you in the future. Oh, well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed my time, and I love this whole podcast and the magazine, so thank you so much for having me. Very good. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Goodbye. Bye. With spending time in training and working on the podcast, and the magazine, it is difficult for me sometimes to get out to the store or the supermarket. And when that occurs, I always rely on Instacart. A friend of mine introduced me to Instacart about a year ago, and it has really changed the way that I shop. I go on the computer or on my phone. I have multiple stores to choose from in the neighborhood. I can select all of my products for del delivery and It'll give me other alternative products based upon my preferences. And it's really, really a helpful tool towards making your life a heck of a lot easier. No more worrying about trying to find parking at the supermarket or standing in line at the checkout counter. You can just do all of it from your computer. It'll help you save money by giving you suggestions on deals and by providing you alternative products. And shoppers will hand select your products, they'll bag them up neatly, and that they'll deliver them within a specified delivery window. I have never had a problem with the products, the groceries, or the service from Instacart. And if you follow the show notes and you let Instacart know that we sent you, they'll provide you free delivery on your first order of over $35. I highly recommend it. And I think that it, for me, has been one of the life-changing services that I've gotten involved with. I'm not a guy who does a lot of Internet shopping, but this is something I don't like to be without. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.